So we're um, continuing in our our study through the book of Galatians, and I've got the the pleasure and the joy of speaking from Galatians chapter two, um, which at first glance is kind of all over the place. So there's some things um, Paul is kind of just laying out, and then there's some things that he says that I think that that um, we probably hear a lot, and I just want to go through some of those things. As I was as I was reading and rereading and and looking at some of the original language and some of the the stuff that's going on in here, I kind of really struggled to find a way to tie it all together. Um, but I think even even as we were praying, some more kind of clicked in place. So. I just pray God will help me to communicate well what he's got from his word. So a little background. Paul, who's writing this book, for one thing, this, this is one of Paul's earlier letters. Um, and it, I think it comes out in some of his language that um, he's, he's, he's still a work in progress as well. He uses some pretty harsh language, and I think I think as you read his his later letters, he softens up a bit. He's got a little bit more grace for people where they're at, but here he's definitely kind of hard hardcore. And and as Emily alluded to last week, he's kind of getting on their case for, um, you know, allowing themselves to be influenced by these horrible people that have come in and and that and. Um, some of the things he says in the next chapter, I'm not sure if if it will be touched on, are pretty harsh, but he does. He, he's a work in progress, and that's one of the things I actually really, really love about reading through the letters of Paul because they're here in our Bible. They are in Scripture, and it's very clear to me that God uses the imperfect and that God uses us where we're at. Okay, we don't have to have it all together. I think in our our kind of celebrity worship culture, it's easy for us. And, 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 and that's not just actually modern culture. I mean, this has been throughout the history of the church. We can, we can elevate these men and women, but mostly men, sadly, to a place of kind of hero worship and thinking that they have it all together and they don't have it all together. I love the way Peter is portrayed in this because he doesn't have it all together. He had a major revelation from God about what it meant to, to break down the barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he still blows it, and, and Paul has to rebuke him to his face. So this, I think in this chapter, there's this, this powerful kind of place of recognizing that men and women can be used by God wherever they're at. So Paul was a Pharisee, and uh, he was quite a zealous Pharisee. Um, in fact, when he was converted, he um, was on his way with letters from the high priest saying that he was allowed to kill the, these Christians, kill new Christians. So it was almost like, um, uh, in a modern context, it would almost be like letters for jihad, for um, for Islamic fundamentalists being able to go and kill people who were who were unfaithful to to the religion, and that's what Paul was. Paul was this kind of 
Jewish jihadist when he came to Christ. And Christ met him on the road, and he had this very powerful encounter. But we still see, even through some of Paul's writing, his kind of Pharisee, his Judaism coming out. One of the things that really jumped out to me in this chapter is its organic nature. Let me, let me go ahead and read it. Why don't we go ahead and put it up on the screen? It's a little bit long, but we'll, we'll get through it. And maybe I'll stop at different parts. So then 14 years, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim amongst the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was running or had not run in vain. So he's, he's only been a Christian about 17 years. We see in the, in the previous chapter that he, he had gone back, he'd gone into Arabia for three years and then another 14, and then he'd gone back to Jerusalem briefly and then another 14 years later, he's going back to Jerusalem just to check on things. This is also after, um, if we read in Acts, the story of Paul, uh, when he went, started going to the Gentiles was after he had a pretty major blowout with, with the, the Jews in the synagogue. He finally just got fed up of them persecuting him for bringing this good news and said, I'm done with you. I'm gonna. So Paul was initially very, very committed to going to the Jews. But then he felt this, this switch of gears. He, he got fed up with them, and he switched gears and started going to the Gentiles. So we know that he, this is a little bit later uh, in his ministry. He's, he's been doing ministry for a while and then switches gears. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us into slavery... To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the, with the gospel to the uncircumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and, that they, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I'll pause there for, for a second. So it's interesting because one, one of the things that we see here is, is Paul not really counting very deeply kind of the, the influential nature of those who'd gone before him. And we think, well, that's kind of a weird thing. Um, Paul's going to Peter and James and John, these kind of pillars of the Jerusalem church, these, these men who'd actually literally walked with Jesus. And Paul, if we remember, had not walked with Jesus. He met Jesus after the resurrection, after the ascension, in a vision, but he'd never spent any time with Jesus in person. And so he's going to these men who'd actually literally walked with Jesus for years and years, 
And he's saying, yeah, you know, whatever they are, you know, it's not really that big of a deal to me that, that they're these guys. They didn't add anything to what God has shown me to share. And that sounds kind of, kind of strange in, in a situation where they are meant to be kind of leaders of the church. Some, of, some people will, will count this off or write this off as, as Paul. Well, you know, Paul was also an apostle, so he had a right to. But I think it was more than that. And I think that what, I, what I'm getting to with this, this whole chapter and what I will get to is that there is something in Paul that Jesus is shifting about the nature of religion and relationship. Because we as people are so quick, so easily fall into religion. And Jesus was very clear that that's not what it's about. We're very quick to say, so-and-so is a leader and I've got to obey them. I had a situation in, in my past where I was at a church. In, kind of, I, was, I was a fair bit younger, a lot younger actually. <laughs> um, and a friend of mine was going to this church. It was really exciting, very charismatic, great worship and stuff like that. And uh, I'd, I'd been a Christian for about maybe five years and, and had been going to another church. But through a work schedule shift, I was unable to go to church for a while. And then when I finally got this, this uh, ability to go back to church, I had this friend who was going to this church. So I started going along with him, and it seemed very, very exciting. Um, it turned out that this church was heavily involved in what was called the shepherding movement. And the shepherding movement was a, a movement back in the 70s where some people had locked onto these phrases in Scripture that you should submit to your elders. And what that meant to them was you submit to your elders in everything. Like, you ask them if it's okay for you to marry this person. You ask them if it's okay for you to buy this house or for you to buy this car. You ask your elders if it's okay for you to go into this ministry or do this thing. Um, the other thing that this church was very involved in was um, what's called Kingdom Now Theology, which was, was all about establishing kind of biblical... How do you put it? Because it, it sounds right when you say it. Establishing a, a taking over government kind of positions so that you can bring in a, your idea of what biblical um, society should look like. So they were trying to create a new theocracy is what it was. Um, and part of that was about um, being financially stable. You know, they saw the scripture that says where that, that a good man leaves a, an inheritance to his children and his children's children. Good scripture, that's great. But they saw that as a mandate, and so, so they said that every person, every man, should have a good career, settle down, get married, raise a family. That's kind of American family values that you hear about. And this was their, their mode of operation. This was who they were. I had a passion to lay my life down, become a missionary, be completely financially unstable. <laughs> Ask my wife. She's struggled with that for years. Um, but but because, because when I became a Christian, the passages that Jesus spoke to me were about selling everything you own, giving it to the poor, and coming and following me, to, to lay down your life, to take up your cross, to, to take the gospel. Those, those things were what really fed me that Jesus was speaking to me. 
And so when I went to the pastors, because you submit to your elders, and said, I feel like God's calling me to the mission field, and I want to go out, and no, I'm not going to be making any money, and in fact, I've got to live by faith. I don't know where my money is going to come from. They said, you're out to lunch. God doesn't call anybody to that. You need to submit to us. Go get a good job. Get married. Raise, raise some good kids. So I came to this place of having a choice. And this was one of the passages that, that God brought, very quickly brought to my mind. It, it actually didn't even come to my mind. I was just reading it in my quiet time, and it really stood out. Paul coming to these leaders, and yet Paul had permission to say, whatever they were didn't matter to who I was becoming because there was something deeper in him and God had been speaking to him. In another place, we see James and, uh, Peter and James being beaten by the Sanhedrin. And they say, you know, we're, they flog them and they say, don't preach the gospel in this name of Jesus anymore. And they went out and immediately did it. And then they're arrested again and they're, they're like, what, what in the world? We just told you not to. And, and they said back to the people, they, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the high priest, you choose whether it's right for you for us to obey men rather than God. So there's something in Paul that's already clicking with that. Remember, he was a Pharisee, so he was one of the ones who would have said, no, you submit to the leaders of the Jewish people. And God has shifted him. And he's teaching Peter and rebuking Peter because Peter had gone back into kind of obeying what his religion said he was supposed to do. So reading on, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you... Though, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Little, I think that should be in quotes, not Gentile sinners. I think he's, he's making a, a play on the racism of the Jews. Um, I don't think Paul thinks that Gentiles are more sinners than, than Jews. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus and in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of the law, because of the, work, the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavors to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then the servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Take that word law and translate it to religion. As evangelicals, I think it's easy for us because we've got this catchphrase. We've got this cliche catchphrase. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. 
And yet we so easily, just like everybody else, fall back into religion. Our religion looks different. We may not have a silver chalice and a white altar cloth and, and you know, stand up here in robes, which I do on other Sundays. But our religion is no different. We still do things very religiously. We still have an idea of what true church is meant to look like. And we place burdens on other people that, that they should do Christianity the way we think it should be done. That's what Paul is breaking down here. We are not meant to be involved in a religion. We're meant to be involved in a relationship. And a relationship is organic, and a relationship is individual. Now, we do it also community, because we're a community of faith. But I can't say to Mike that his Christianity, he's doing Christianity wrong. I can't dictate to somebody else that your type of Christianity, the way you do Christianity, isn't right. I can't say to somebody whose Christianity is quiet, oh, you're not really showing evidence of being filled with the Spirit because you don't jump up and down and speak in tongues. And yet, I think most of us, at some time or another, have heard those very things, haven't we? There are certain people, there are certain groups who very much want to be, make it about a religion again. You know, if you don't do this, if you don't behave this way, if you don't do your church the way we think it should be done or the way we like, then, you know, maybe we're not as quick to say you're not Christians, but we're quick to, can be fairly quick to think you're not quite as, you know, spirit-filled as us or, or God's not moving in your church the way he moves in our church. Man, we got to be careful about that. There are churches where God is moving in one way, and there are churches where God is moving in another way. There are individuals where God is moving in one way, and there are individuals where God is moving in another way. Jesus came, in part, to show us that what we do in religion is missing the point. We have this whole Old Testament that is about these people who are trying to get it right religiously. And Jesus came in to say, that's not the point. And God is actually, throughout this Old Testament, you'll see snippets of, of the Father actually kind of going, that's not the point. You know, I've not desired sacrifices, but I desire a contrite heart, that kind of thing. But didn't you say to give us sacrifices? You see, little hints throughout. You see where Joshua is in the tent of meeting and he refuses to leave because he knows where it's at. He knows it's about intimacy with God. And that passage in, in Exodus 33 says that whenever the people wanted to hear a word from God, they could all go to the tent of meeting. But what happened was they all stood outside their own tents and let Moses go to the tent of meeting for them. Because they wanted religion. Religion is easier. Religion is always easier because it just means ticking boxes. Yeah, did that right. Got that one right. You know, I'm not, I'm not a Gentile sinner. I'm circumcised. I'm doing this ritual right. We worship five songs and then we have a good sermon. Check. We come on Sundays at 10 o'clock. Check. 
we just throw things out there and we say that that's how, what it's about. All through the Old Testament, we see God crying out for intimacy. And then it comes down to a point in Jesus where he's coming in and he's going, nope, you guys got the Sabbath wrong. It's not about, you know, obeying God in the Sabbath. It's about giving you some time for rest. Nope, you got that wrong. You've heard it's written, but I say, because he wants it to be organic. He wants it to be a real relationship. So Paul is saying, we're not under the law. And Jesus said, well, actually you are, but all of it comes down to this, love. This is the only thing that matters, love. Love God and love your neighbor. And by the way, your neighbor includes your enemy. That's the only thing that matters. Literally. So this is what Paul's saying. Paul isn't, Paul isn't saying that there's a new religion we're forming. He's saying we're jettisoning all of that because it's only about love. Paul puts it in words of, of faith. And by the way, when Paul says um, it's through faith that we're saved or justified, um, that's an interesting sentence in the Greek because it could very well mean it's through the faithfulness of Jesus that we're saved. And so even, even our own kind of, let's kind of well up our faith and, and then we're back to, is my faith better than your faith? I think you need a little bit more faith, brother. And we're quick to make it about religion again. Is your faith the right kind of faith? Do you allow this kind of thing to go on in your church? Or do you have friends who do this? By the way, Jesus had friends who did about everything we would be ashamed of being around. It's about love. And when it's about love, it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. Because their relationship with God is their relationship with God. And is God faithful? I mean, is, is God big enough that he can kind of say... Let's change that. Let's work on that a little bit. To the person, does he really need us to come along and, and point fingers? So we're not meant to create a new law. We're just meant to live with Jesus through faith. In fact, we're meant to let Jesus live through us, is what the, la the last thing Paul says in here. He says, it's not even me living anymore. I just want God to live through me. I've been crucified. By the way, crucified means dead. Okay? You're dead. <laughs> We're dead. I'm dead. And if I'm not dead and letting God live his life through me, then I'm missing, again, I'm missing the point. But we don't have to worry don't worry, if, if you let God live through you, then you will be living your best life. And that doesn't also mean religiously. L letting God live through you isn't about your religion. It's not about how you do Christianity. Letting God live through you is love. God is love. So that's the evidence of our salvation the evidence of our faith. 
I'm crucified, I am dead. The old me that doesn't know how to love well is dead. And I'm gonna begin to love well because I'm gonna let God, the God who is love live through me. And when I love someone, there's no room there for me to judge them, to judge their morality, to judge their sexuality, to judge their, the way they do their religion, the way they do anything. There's no room there for that because I'm just to love them. And God's faithful. If they're a little bit off skew, like I'm a little bit off skew, God's faithful to tell me. Slightly changing the words, I will not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, or through religion, then Christ died for nothing. It's all about love. It's all about intimacy with God, with one another, with those we don't get along with well. I heard a, a saying that I think is really, really good. The evidence that we love God with all our hearts is how well we love our neighbor. The evidence of how well we love our neighbor is how well we, how well we love our enemies. So let's just love well. Let's make that our religion. Amen?